Welcome into another edition of the WISports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at WISports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. We are into the winter sports season full bore here at WSN and around the state of Wisconsin. Fall sports wrapped up a couple weeks ago. We put a bow on the uh, the fall sports last week with a little bit of a recap of the high school football season, the high school football state championships. And with the Thanksgiving holiday complete, it is time to dive headlong into basketball. And we will have two separate WISports.net podcasts this week. Tomorrow will be a girls basketball preview, season preview with Norbert Durst, our girls basketball writer at WISports.net. But today... It will be a boys basketball preview. A look at the big storylines, the, the teams, the top players, everything going on in high school hoops with WBCA Hall of Famer, boys basketball expert in the state of Wisconsin, and our boys basketball editor at WSN, Mark Miller. Time to welcome Mark back into the podcast. Mark, it's been a little while since we've chatted, at least for the podcast, but it's got to feel good to get this uh, this more normalized season up and running feels great, and I just pray that we can have this normalized season uh, throughout the entire school year. Um, you know, it's, it's always, you always have that in the back of your mind that, you know, things could change uh, pretty rapidly. So um, it's nice to see the Madison schools and Milwaukee schools playing after not playing last year. And, uh, you know, all, those, all the teams on the boys and girls side are, are up and running. So let, let's hope and pray that uh, they are able to complete their season just like we were able to do during the fall sports season. Well, let's start with a, a little bit of a conversation about those Madison and Milwaukee schools that you mentioned did not play last year. And we saw those schools significantly impacted in the fall sports and football in particular where they did not play the previous year and those teams really struggled. Those kids really struggled with a year away. In fact, uh, one of the big storylines early in the year was the Milwaukee city uh, conference and the Milwaukee public schools having some issues, just fielding enough teams and getting enough players out. Part of that was some registration is issues, excuse me, but we saw three or four of those teams not even compete at all. So let's start in Milwaukee. What, what have you heard? What is the, the outlook for, teams returning are all teams in the city conference returning to play and what kind of impact will that have this year with those schools not participating at all last season my knowledge they're all playing um and obviously we we have the milwaukee city conference and then we have the blue division of the milwaukee city conference and those teams are playing now some of the other schools in the city the private schools and the charter schools uh did play last year so I wouldn't expect, uh, you know, too much of a drop off from those teams, but for the schools within the city conference in either division, um, certain programs are, are going to struggle uh, because their kids didn't get to play last year and they're behind. So uh, I, I noticed a score last night, Milwaukee Pulaski got beat by uh, a brand new varsity team, St. Augustine. Um, so, you know, it just, it just goes to show that, you know, losing that, that full year, uh, for kids who who maybe aren't playing basketball uh, all the time, particularly in the off season, is really going to affect those teams. Now, there's a few teams, obviously, where the kids didn't play during the high school season, but have multiple AAU players where they might be able to overcome, you know, the lack of not playing last winter. Uh, I look at uh, Bradley Tech and King and Washington, probably out of the city conferences, is three of the better teams, and there could be a a team or two that, you know, surprises that uh, could pop up there with those other three, but 
we saw Milwaukee Vincent come down to Madison and play Memorial the other night and lost by 40. So, um, yeah, they're, they're going to be behind. Um, hopefully they can catch up quickly. Uh, and like I said, there are a few programs that have multiple AAU players and that, that will help them as they navigate their way through the season and, you know, back, have varsity high school basketball again in, in, in the city. The Madison schools, the four public schools in Madison did not play last year. Are they in a better position than the Milwaukee city schools in terms of getting back at it? Or are they in kind of a similar position, do you think? I think they're in a little better position um, just because they have a lot of returning players in almost all four programs. In fact, all four programs do have multiple kids who play during the summer on the club circuit. So you know, you look at the four public high schools in Madison and, you know, I think three of the four will, will definitely contend for the title in the, in the big A conference. When you talk about Memorial La Follette and East and, and they all have college players. So um, I think that those four schools West included will, will be able to overcome not playing last season uh, at a better pace than, than the, many of the Milwaukee city programs. Of course, last year we had, mask requirements in place. Um, there were some places that still had uh, limitations at many places, I think that had limitations on fans. There was other protocols and guidelines in place pretty much all last season. We did not see much of that in the fall sports and certainly not in an outdoor sport like football. What are you hearing? What are you seeing in terms of adjusted protocols as we begin this new season? Well, I've been to six games so far, and at none of those locations were masks required. Um, so uh, the players weren't wearing them, the coaches weren't wearing them. You know, a few fans maybe were, but not not many. Of course, that could change in a drop of a hat, and it, it changes by county. Um, so um, I haven't been to a game yet in Dane County. Um, probably will go to one this week. We're probably have to wear a mask, um, but. Generally speaking, I think at this point anyway, things are pretty good in that respect throughout the state. Um, and we just, uh, uh, we know that that can change at any time, Travis. Um, but at this point, with the numbers being where they are, um, generally speaking, I think most, but certainly not all of the high schools in Wisconsin are not requiring masks for fans to attend or uh, more importantly for the players to wear during the competition. Does that potentially become a, an advantage-disadvantage situation where last year everybody was doing the same thing? Everybody was requiring masks or not requiring masks. Everybody was practicing in masks. Um, if there's places that are requiring masks this year and other places that aren't, does it, does it create a little bit of an advantage-disadvantage for a team that practices in masks and is used to that and a team that isn't doing any of that and then might have to travel to Dane County, for instance, and play a game? where all of a sudden they are wearing masks that game. Hmm. I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's a good point. And I, I think that there probably would be a slight advantage to the team, uh, to the teams that are wearing masks all the time because they're used to it. So if you're, if you're coming from Janesville, for example, which is not wearing masks right now, and you're playing uh, up at, uh, in, at one of the Madison schools um, or Verona or some Prairie or wherever, you, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to get accustomed to that. My, my guess is the coaches would be thinking ahead and maybe practice a few times with the masks just so that they get their breathing down and, and get their stamina and so forth uh, with the mask on compared to without. 
Uh, it's not ideal, obviously. I mean, playing with masks in a sport like basketball or football, um, it, it just is, it's just hard, you know, it's not, it's not natural. And it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's possible to do like we did last year, but, uh, you know, with all the, the energy that the athletes uh, exert on the court, it makes it more difficult. So I think there would be a, a slight advantage. Um, don't know if it would be game changing, um, but I, I do think that there probably would be. But like I said before, I think the coaches uh, who are coming into a mass county uh, from an unmasked county would, would probably think ahead and say, hey, we, got, we better put masks on for a practice or two before we go play that team because we don't want to just show up and all of a sudden have to wear masks without practicing or, or having them on at all prior to the contest. Well, let's hope that that is about as far as we get in conversations this year about <laughs> COVID and protocols and guidelines and, and everything else. And, and hopefully our conversations the rest of the way can be um, not just today, but but throughout the year can be directed towards the games, directed towards the athletes. And, and again, that, that return of normalcy. Um, one of the other changes that is coming into play this year for the first time is that at the end of the season, when tournament time rolls around, teams will be seated in the playoffs electronically via computer or auto seating, uh, something that we saw uh, technically the second year for football, but but really kind of year one. Um, a little bit different formula. There's some different things in there, slightly different. But uh, what has the reaction been from coaches in terms of the auto seating, the computer seating, and, and what that may be like and in, in you know what what are their thoughts you know heading into that for the first year in the 2022 playoffs i think by and large they really like it um i think that they they are okay with not having a seating meeting <laughs> and taking away some of their uh, their sunday that uh, many of the seating meetings had happened on sundays in the past um I, I think that they're okay with the formula that was devised that the WI was transparent about in terms of releasing, you know, how the formula is going to come about. Um, the the only negative I've heard is that if you're playing a, a schedule that has multiple out-of-state schools, that that won't be counted. And um, and I understand why because it's it's so difficult for uh, for the WI and the computer and so forth to to know you know, the, the results of all the results of Iowa schools or Minnesota or Illinois schools. Um, but there are a few teams in our state, as you know, that uh, that play a, a substantial amount of games uh, across the border, whether it's against Iowa teams or Minnesota or, or Illinois. So for them, uh, it's it's maybe not the greatest thing, but um, because they're all in conferences with Wisconsin teams, my thought is that it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be too big of a detriment for those teams. And obviously this is the first year that this computer seating is being worked, as being utilized, I should say. And, and perhaps after this year, there might be a few things that, that the WI uh, and the committee that came up with the computer seating might be able to tweak a little bit to improve. Um, or perhaps it's, you know, everyone's happy with it. Um, I personally think it's a, it's a step in the right direction. Um, it seemed like every year with the coaches doing it, there were a couple of things that made you scratch your head and in each of the five divisions. And here, uh, it, you know, it takes all the the politics and the and the um, lobbying, if you will, uh, of coaches out of it and, and, you know, leaves it up to a, a unified system um, 
that will place teams uh, based on on their on their schedule and on uh, you know how their opponents did. And the bottom line, Travis, obviously, is if you win a lot of games and you play a strong schedule, you're going to come out pretty good. If you lose a lot of games and you play a weak schedule, you're going to come out pretty bad. So I, I like the fact that the and I think the coaches really like the fact that the computer formula is going to be taking into account the winning percentage of its opponents. Um, and that that is, that will be a good incentive for teams to play uh, a strong non-conference schedule because you want your opponents to do well. Uh, so that will help your seed. The other, the other one thing that I did here, uh, now that I think about it, is the uh, how does the how does the computer um, look at teams that play across divisions? So if a if a D if a D four school, for example, beats a D two school, uh, does that that doesn't seem to really have any more or less weight uh, than if they played another D four school that was successful? Um, and obviously, if you're a smaller school. Uh, like a Ron Colley, for example, this past week uh, beat uh, a, a D4 school, uh, beat Appleton West, a D1 school. You know, is that is that worth this? That's probably going to actually it could hurt them because Appleton West uh, is not projected to finish very high in the Fox Valley Association. So their winning percentage will be down. And yet Appleton West is probably a, a better team than many of the Division Four teams that Ron Colley would face in uh, other non-league games. So there, you know, there's things like that that kind of come in there, but it's really hard to, to um, account for every variable. And I think that uh, what we have set up this year is, is, is a very good start. And, um, you know, we can, like I said before, we can always tweak it going forward. As you know, I was involved in the creation of that formula for football through the WFCA and the, uh, the basketball formula through the WBCA. And, those items are exactly the kinds of things that we talked about and discussed whether it it made sense to incorporate them. How do you incorporate them? How much weight do you give? Uh, a lot of conversations certainly went into that. In one one piece of, of information or clarification uh, out there that I don't think we have really communicated, I don't know if it has been communicated out there, to be honest with you, I believe that for non non-member schools, which would include the out-of-state schools, the WIA will use a 500 record for any opponent that's out-of-state or a non-WIA member. So okay. you, you won't get a zero, you won't get a 100, you won't get, you know, all of, uh, you play a team that out-of-state that's 20 and 0, you're not going to get that full benefit, but at least it counts and it, it, it's not going to hurt you per se. Um, but I believe that's where they're going to go with it, with that in basketball. We did see a few issues in football that, that people pointed out that you certainly understand. And, and one of the big ones in football was head to head. Um, and you know, I, I think that will be mitigated to some extent in basketball because there's more games to, to judge by right in, in football. There's only nine games in basketball. There's going to be 20 to 24. And so that the more games you have, the more it smooths out some of those, those things. So I, I think it, I, I think, I hope it will actually go better to be quite honest with you in basketball than it did in football, but we'll see. It, it'll be interesting to see when those seeds come out. Um, it, there's no doubt that there'll be people that'll look at it and say, I don't like it. I think I should have been here. And there'll be certainly situations just like there were in football where you look at it and say, yeah, they're probably right. It, it They probably should have been up a, a seed or two, but overall, I think it'll be a step in the right direction, as you uh, as you mentioned. 
Um, what other kind of high level topics, storylines are we keeping an eye on heading into this 2021, 2022 season? We'll get to a kind of a division by division preview in just a moment, but any other statewide topics that we should uh, make mention of before we dive into that? Well, uh, you know, nothing really pops to mind except the fact that the, we're all playing again. And that that's, that's the, uh, that's the thing that everyone is so excited about the kids, the coaches, the parents, the fans, the student sections, um, went to the game last night at Ripon and, and uh, Ripon High School, and they had a huge student section and cheering for their team against Campbellsport. And it's just nice to be back in a community setting like that. Um, and of course, we see that throughout the state of Wisconsin. So everyone is just so um, happy about that. And 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 yet we all realize, um, you know, that uh, now, particularly after last year, and the and actually even the state tournament of 2020 that things can change really rapidly. So I think just being thankful for the opportunity to be out there and playing and competing and, and for guys like us, Travis, just watching the games and, and, you know, covering it obviously on with sports um, that that's, that's kind of the overriding issue right now. Um, the, the seating certainly is a big thing this year. Um, and, you know, I, it'll be really interesting to see how that goes, you know, and then within, obviously within each conference and with uh, really just about every program in the state, there's different storylines on, on how things will go. Uh, one of the big ones, I guess, now that I think about it is, is Jerry Pettigue at Cuba City uh, entered the season at 16 wins shy of a thousand for his career. The winningest coach in the state history has won two games already. So now he's 14 away. He's got a really strong team. I, I watched him against Wisconsin Rapids and uh, thought, wow, this team's going to win a lot of games. So I would, my guess is that he'll probably get there this year. Um, so that, that would be a huge milestone and the first coach to ever do that in, in Wisconsin, of course. So um, that will be something that we'll be watching closely and, uh, you know, just the development of players, you know, see, see who steps up, see what kids maybe were under the radar that, uh, that deserve to be, uh, you know, mentioned as, as as top players in the state. That's always fun. And then, of course, the big thing is which teams are going to emerge. And and really, uh, I think across all five divisions, like like usual, there there's no prohibitive favorite. Although maybe Pewaukee and D two, but there's lots of teams that that certainly could could uh, hoist that gold ball when we uh, end the season in March. And and that'll be fun to to see how all that pans out. All right, Mark, let's dive into a, a division by division preview of uh, some of the top teams to, to watch this year. Let's start in division one, where in the Wisconsin basketball yearbook preseason rankings, which, by the way, we should take a moment to, to plug that great publication. Of course, year 37 for the Wisconsin basketball yearbook. Uh, the initial run went out, of course, but can fans still order that if they're uh, if they're looking to get their hoops fixed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We have plenty of books available and they're available uh, to be purchased online at WBBY.com. And uh, they're at various uh, stores throughout the state. Uh, I think Woodman's and Sendix and um, those type of places are places that have had them in the past. So um, yeah, so certainly uh, fans can certainly still order them and uh, we're sending them out every day yet. Uh, and, um, you know, very happy with the, the fact that people are continuing to buy the magazine after all these years. All right, so make sure you grab your Wisconsin basketball yearbook if you have not yet for some reason. Um, but in the preseason rankings, DePere was number one in Division One. 
Menominee Falls was second. Take us through Division One top teams to watch for. And also, interestingly, uh, as we look back to last year, Wauwatosa East was the Division One state champion last year, uh, ended up beating Kimberly in the state title game. But a really strong senior group that has moved on uh, in you know, Tosa East. Where do they fit in that mix in Division One? Yeah, they lost four starters. One player back, of course, is Leon Bond, who signed with uh, Virginia, one of the better seniors in Wisconsin. Um, so he'll lead a, a younger team, but still a pretty talented team. Uh, and, and uh, of course they compete in what I think is the best conference in the state, the greater Metro. So they're going to get challenged every single time they, they hit the floor. Um, so, you know, how they stack up against Brookfield East, Brookfield Central, Menominee Falls, Sussex Hamilton, uh, obviously Tosa West right within their city there, um, is going to determine, uh, how, you know, how, how well they do, um, it's just such a it's such a good league all nine teams are good so um you know i i don't think on paper heading into this season that they're going to be uh the team they were a year ago obviously when they went 23 and 3 and won the greater metro title and the division one title you can't do much better than that um so but they do have a great player uh in leon bond who can take over a game so uh, they're certainly going to be a, a team to be reckoned with, but at least on paper, they're, they're, they're not a, um, a team that I think most people would put in their top 10 at this point. So who is in some of the, the other teams in the top 10? Again, DePere, uh, you have number one. Take us through the Redbirds and the rest of some of those top teams in D1. Right. DePere is a team that um, has a lot of everything, really. Uh, they they have some standout players. They have some good young prospects. They have size. They have experience. Um, they have guys that have been through, you know, the the the, the toughness of a of, of a long schedule, long season. Johnny Kinzinger now is in his uh, third year as a starter for them, and averaged over twenty a game last year, and is uh, a, a, one of the more skilled players in Wisconsin uh, with the ball in his hands. They also have a 6'8 sophomore named Will Hornseth, who is starting to generate a lot of interest. So you got the great guard play, and then you got the big guy. But then the guys they sprinkle around them are so talented as well, and, and they have experience. So, um, you know, will they be the number one team all year? It's hard to say. They play a good schedule. Um, but I think, uh, you know, by a razor-thin margin, I picked them over uh, teams like Menominee Falls and Eau Claire Memorial for that one spot in the basketball year, Buck. But speaking of Menominee Falls, they, they have uh, the number one ranked player in the, in the 2023 class in Seth Trimble, who's going to North Carolina. And they also have Stephen Clay, 6'6 wing, who's got multiple D1 offers. So they have two Division One players, two players that have played, uh, well, now will be entering their fourth year of varsity basketball. They have all five starters back from a year ago. Uh, they play in the greater Metro. So again, they're going to be challenged every night. So um, that's a team that I think is going to be really fun to watch uh, just in terms of pure athleticism with guys like Clay and Trimble. And then Eau Claire Memorial up north, uh, they uh, they got a few uh, bumps and bruises right now from from uh, the fall sports season. But um, I think when you look at their lineup, they too have good size, good depth, excellent guard play. And uh, I think that they, they have the talent if they can stay healthy and get everyone on the same page and, um, you know, mix in Makai Shaw, who missed last year. He started uh, as a sophomore at point guard, but he tore his ACL and missed his junior year, but he's back playing now and he's a really good uh, point guard and also an excellent leader for that team. 
So I, I think Eau Claire Memorial is a team that uh, is going to is going to challenge. And I, you know, I think that honestly, uh, they have the horses to to make some noise come March as well. And then, uh, you know, when you look at the FVA, another great conference, you know, I think there's a number of teams there that could emerge. Uh, we have Appleton East number six, um, and that may seem a little high, uh, particularly because they finished below 500 last year, but uh, they had some injuries last year that really affected them. Uh, they have uh, a, a really strong senior class of guys that have played multiple years of varsity uh, basketball. They also have really good size, both in the backcourt and the frontcourt. They have a, a terrific point guard in uh, Joey LaChapel, uh, whose dad is um, uh, the head coach of the girls program there. Um, and, and they have some, uh, some size at six, eight with, uh, um, uh, well, the Caleb Glazer, he's, he's about six, six, and he's a junior. And then, uh, teaming with him on, on their front line is a senior at six, eight, um, in, uh, oh, uh, I'm trying to blank on his name right now, but, um, uh, oh, Kate Feldhausen. Yeah, Kate Feldhausen, and then, you know, Tyler Borowski is going to team with Chapel in the backcourt, and, and uh, Borowski uh, signed it with a Division II school. So that's a team that's got size, depth, experience. The big question is, can they can they mold all that into a winning team in a really really good conference, where they're going to be challenged every night? And they they open their season tonight against Marshfield at home, so it'll be interesting to see how that game comes out. I think Kakana is another team that people are going to really want to watch. Um, they have a really uh, shifty and quick and dynamic point guard um, in Chris Morgan. He's a, he's a three-year player for Coach Shallow at Kakana, signed with Indiana Fort Wayne, a Division I school in the Horizon League. And uh, the, the player that I think a lot of people are going to really be excited about at Kakana is a freshman, Amari Allen. He's 6'6" really athletic and can do a lot of different things. He's not just a post player. He can play in the wing. He can crash the boards. He can finish above the rim. Um, and, and they have some other solid players to go with those guys. Um, and, and the John O'Neill, a six, eight, uh, sophomore center comes to mind as a, as a player that has gotten better. And then of course you never count out teams like Kimberly and Nina. Uh, Nina's going to be without, uh, uh, Cal Klesman, unfortunately, he tore his ACL and will miss the season. And that's a shame because he's a very, very good player in the junior class. But they still have a very good team led by Chevalier Emery and Carter Thompson, Carter Thomas, two seniors that have been uh, varsity players for Coach Rabbis for a couple of years. And over at Kimberly, John Murphy is back in the game after a one-year absence. A longtime Seymour coach takes over for Lucky Wirtz and has a, a great point guard in Jackson Pavletsky, who was a key player on their uh, Division One runner-up team last year, and uh, Jackson and Owen Palakowski, uh, both scholarship players. Jackson's going to Walford, and uh, Palakowski's going out to St. Leo D2 school in Florida, in Florida. And then, you know, at a school like Kimberly, Travis, as you know, you know, they may only have two starters back, but the guys behind them, the guys that played JV and the juniors that maybe didn't play a ton last year, they're awfully good players. So some of those guys are going to emerge. Um, I think of a kid like Seth Myron, um, a 6'4 junior that I think is going to have a really good season for them. Uh, so it'll be interesting. You know, that that's what is that four teams right there. And then, you know, Appleton North got Max Nelson, who had 25 in his first game of the season and signed with Valparaiso. You know, Fond du Lac is an improved team. Um, so, you know, and then we haven't even talked about the two Oshkosh schools. 
So it's, you know, the FGA and the greater Metro, uh, you know, one A, one B, and maybe the big eight, one C, but uh, really good basketball up and down the line, all, all the way around Oshkosh North, you know, won their tournament over the weekend and have a really, have some really good young players and a really solid senior point guard and Reed Secker. So um, it's going to be a fun league to watch as well. Um, and, and see who emerges out of that crew as because every game is going to be a war. Division two, maybe not as many teams or maybe not as up in the air as division one, where defending state champion Pewaukee returns as a heavy favorite in division two. What are some other teams that could challenge the pirates? And what are some, uh, you know, what, what about the pirates stands out to you in that division two field? Well, the thing that stands out about Pewaukee is they have two high major college basketball prospects and they have two seniors who signed with division two schools. <laughs> so you've got four scholarship kids right there. Uh, and then you have another senior at six, six, who's going to play division one baseball. So um, that's a pretty darn good lineup. Um, you know, and they have experience, they have size, they have depth, they have confidence. They're eager to, to repeat as division two state champions. Um, they have a great backcourt with Josh Terrian and Ashton Janowski and Ashton's younger brother, Nick, um, you know, has scholarship offers from multiple division one programs already. And, and of course, Milan Monchiliovic, the six, eight uh, junior is another player with multiple high major uh, offers because of his ability to shoot the ball. So that is a loaded team and you're, it's going to take one heck of a squad to beat them. And yet I look at the top 10 in division two and I'm like, wow, all these teams are really good within its own conference. Pewaukee will have to face Wisconsin Lutheran twice and perhaps three times if you count the tournament and Wisconsin Lutheran has arguably uh, the most sought after sophomore in Wisconsin and con Knipple. So, um, you know, then you talk about lacrosse central, which has a really deep balanced experienced lineup DeForest, which qualified for division one last year and has all five starters back um, led by Max Weisbrod is another really good team. Jack Rose's team at, at West Osha central is very good. Danilo Janatovic's squad at Whitnell is very good. He's going to Miami of Florida an ACC school. Ash Wabanon has two outstanding guards back. Milton is definitely on the upswing, led by Jack Campion, their four-year varsity point guard. Um, Monroe has JT Seagraves and Carson Losinger back. Those guys have been varsity players for four years. And then we talked a little bit about Milwaukee Tech when we talked about the city conference, but they have a player named Learic Davis who played up as a sophomore and is one of the most dynamic players in Wisconsin at six, seven, uh, can handle the ball, can play in the perimeter, can finish way above the rim. Um, and if he has the kind of season that he's capable of, he's the kind of guy that a lot of people will be talking about uh, by the end of the season. So division two is loaded, uh, really good teams up and down the line. Certainly Pewaukee's the favorite, but they're going to get a, they're going to get a heck of a, a fight out of Wisconsin Lutheran, even in, within the Woodland West conference, uh, not, not to mention West Dallas central and, and Pius. So, um, a lot of really good storylines in division two. We're talking with Mark Miller, our boys basketball writer at Wisports.net for a WSN podcast. Uh, I think it's a good time to take a look at an issue that obviously has been around for a long time, but I think an article that you wrote last year or, or maybe the year before really opened some eyes to people who thought that transfers were just a private school thing. Um, but you wrote an article about all the transfers that had occurred 
in the Wisconsin, excuse me, in the Fox Valley Association a couple of years ago. And I think it really made people stand up and, and realize that it happens a lot more than maybe what they think. It's not just a big school thing, but again, it, it has had a very significant impact at some of the big schools. So what are some transfers this year to keep an eye on that will make an impact that could change the dynamic of some of these teams and conferences potentially? Well, the, the ones that come to mind immediately are not in a conference. Milwaukee Academy of Sciences plays an independent schedule. Um, and of course, they they have two, arguably, two, well, for certain, two of the best sophomores in the state had transferred in there uh, for their soft, sophomore years. Uh, Tayshawn Bridges, 6'2 guard, who started last year at Brookfield East, uh, and Nasir Beeman, a 6'2 guard, who started last year at Martin Luther. So Naz Beeman and, and Tayshawn Bridges are, are both now attending Academy of Science, uh, along with an unbelievable freshman class, just a, easily the best in the state, very deep size, uh, uh, just talent up and down the line. Um, so they're, they're a D4 school, and they get those two transfers, plus all the influx of, of very talented freshmen that immediately uh, vaults them to the top of Division IV um, when you get those kind of transfers. Um, and, you know, uh, they're going to be a team that will be very interesting to watch because they, they just have so much talent. And in fact, you could make a case that that although it's young talent and young talent does, generally doesn't beat a team like Pewaukee, for example, with, with that has both young and experienced talent. But as far as young talent goes, I don't know if there's anybody in Wisconsin that's got more more of it right now than Milwaukee Academy of Science. So that's going to be uh, uh, an interesting dynamic to see how that plays out uh, this year. Uh, as far as other transfers throughout Wisconsin, um, you know, uh, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, maybe who some of the other ones would be. Um, Kakana has had some transfers uh, the last few years. Uh, uh, we, we talked about Chris Morgan. He came over from Ashwaubenon. Amari Allen um, opened and enrolled from the West De Pere uh, School District. So he's a freshman too. Um, but he's starting out at Kakana, whereas Chris played uh, his freshman year at Ashwaubenon. Um, but Amari is, is going to be a guy that's, that's certainly going to impact that, that team. Uh, Wauwatosa West is, is another team. They're, they're among the many really good Division II schools. They have Cole Hansen that transferred in. He's a sophomore, uh, uh, played a lot of minutes as a freshman uh, for the varsity team at Sun Prairie, and uh, will uh, will you know compete obviously for for the Trojans this year. They also have two freshmen that that um, open and roll or, or came from a different district, I guess you could say, uh, and, and are playing on the varsity, including six uh, ten freshman Kai Rogers, who uh, is is got a ways to go, but um, has has just immense potential. So uh, those guys come to mind as well. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, you know, there, there, there are transfers. I mean, the, uh, uh, another one at the small school level that I'm just thinking about here is Seth Bunders, who, whose family moved from the Almond Bancroft district over to Wazika Steuben. And I, I think uh, Seth will make a big impact uh, for that team, which already, you know, had a number of starters back from, from its state tournament team uh, from last year. So, um, those are some of the ones that, that kind of jump out at me, Travis, at this point. Um, I don't know if we had as many this year, perhaps, as maybe we had in past years, but the ones we had, um, 
uh, were pretty big. Um, and I think the biggest beneficiary probably was Wauwatosa West and certainly Milwaukee Academy of Science. Well, let's turn our attention to Division Three and tell everybody out there why uh, the state champion this year will be my Richland Center Hornets and who will finish second. Well, if Richland Center wins, I will take you out uh, uh, to your favorite restaurant and buy you dinner because I, I don't see that happening at the same time. I know they have a strong team and will win a lot of games this year, but um, I, I don't know if they have enough to, to go all the way to Madison and, and, and win the gold ball in division three. Maybe I'm fair, wrong. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I did have them an honorable mention, not in the top 10. I, I um, so, uh, um, I think that that conference that they're in, the, the Southwest Wisconsin, will be better this year. I think there's some, the Platteville's much improved. Um, Prairie du Chien has Andy Benasek back now as head coach. I think they'll, they'll be competitive. Dodgeville's going to be very competitive with Dylan Gaithward back. Um, so, you know, that league. And then, you know, you never count on River Valley. I know they're maybe off to a slow start this year, but they always seem to kind of come together and, and, and make things happen. Um, as far as D, D3 overall, Lake Country Lutheran finished second last year to, to uh, Racine St. Catherine, obviously, in the title game. And uh, the Lightning return, uh, you know, four or five really outstanding players, uh, experienced players. They have size. They have kids now who have played up as sophomores and freshmen who have physically matured. I'm thinking of a kid like Noah Howard, their wing guard, who, who has really uh, diversified his game. And, of course, they're led by Luke Hurdle, um, uh, comes into the season with over 1,500 points already, um, just committed to Wisconsin as a preferred walk-on, as you know, really good quarterback in football, um, and, and he's a guy that makes everyone around him better with his decisions when he has the ball in his hands. So if you're playing Lake Country Lutheran, what you don't want to see is Luke Hurdle with the ball at the mid, at the free throw line um, and, and looking the, the floor over trying to figure out if you can get to the basket, draw a foul, finish through contact, or pop it out to a wide open three-point shooter, uh, and, you know, like Noah Howard, for example. You know, Ben Lubers is up to 6'6 now, and, and Johnny Nels is just one of those guys that always seems to kill opponents with his putbacks, with his slashing ability. Um, that that's a really, really good team. And, and to coach Mark Newman's credit, he went out and really scheduled some outstanding non-conference games. So um, they play in the Midwest Classic, which is better this year than it's been in the past. But uh, what you really want to watch for with Lake Country Lutheran is when they play their non-conference games. Uh, they're playing Catholic Memorial, they're playing Pewaukee, they're playing Sheboygan Lutheran. Um, you know, those are some pretty high profile games. Beyond them, I think, uh, you know, Martin Luther was a team that, that we anticipated a lot from this year. Um, however, uh, you mentioned transfers before. They lost uh, Naz Beeman to, to Milwaukee Academy of Science about a week before the school year started. And then Jeff Brazil uh, is no longer enrolled at the school. He was a senior who, you know, they expected big things from. That said, they still have two outstanding junior guards and Jalen Hayes and Demiria Shakur. And, and they have a very good freshman class, but that team might be a little bit more of a work in progress than we anticipated at the start of the season. West Salem has a really good squad uh, up in the lacrosse area. Um, uh, they have great depth, really good balance, good size, new coach and Mark Wagner, the former Pittsville and GET coach. 
another team up north that's really good and really deep and really fun to watch is Northwestern. They can put points on the board in a hurry, and they really push the ball and and take the first good shot. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be fun to see their scores throughout the year because they 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 have guys that can shoot, that can take it to the rack, that have physical strength, and they have depth. That That's a team that is really, really good that a lot of people may not know about. Uh, a, a team in Milwaukee that I think, uh, uh, two teams that come to mind in the Milwaukee area, Carmen Northwest, they compete in the Milwaukee City Blue, and they are led by Dupree Fletcher Jr. And I had a chance to, to watch Coach Joe Brandon Joseph's team this past summer and they really come at you. They really play aggressively and make you play the full 94 feet. So I think that's a team that's going to have a lot of success in D3. And the other D3 school, I think that people will want to keep an eye on is Catholic Memorial. Their best players now are juniors. Many of them were up as freshmen. They, they do have a good senior point guard in Cam Pendleton. But I, I think playing in the Classic 8 and, and the schedule that they play uh, for all 24 regular season games is going to position them well when the playoffs roll around. Let's move on to Division 4, where you mentioned Milwaukee Academy of Science and the, the talent that they have in those younger classes. Um, some traditional teams ready to challenge them, though. Sheboygan Lutheran moving up to Division 4, Cuba City, Darlington, Marshall. I mean, a lot of these, these names and teams that we've seen and heard for a number of years could be in the mix in D4 if, if that ex inexperience, that youthfulness for Academy of Science isn't enough to get it done. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think everything you said is spot on. And, um, you know, Sheboygan Lutheran moving up to um, Division Four by about two, three students is an interesting development. Um, uh, Casey Verhagen, the Northern Michigan recruit, is back for his senior year, and, and uh, he's a guy that's uh, put up a lot of points and a lot of assists, and, and just is a fun player to watch because of his aggressiveness with the ball in his hands. He just goes, goes, and goes, and really pushes the tempo for for that Sheboygan Lutheran team. Um, I saw Cuba City over the weekend, and Carter Olson and Max Lucy are a dynamic backcourt, and they, they have some size along the front line that uh, I think will develop as the season goes along. A uh, few guys in the state play with as much um, quickness, as much uh, physical aggressiveness than Carter Olson. I mean, he, he, he reminds me of his brother Brady. And that he just comes and competes and just goes from the opening tip until the final horn. Um, he had 33 against uh, Wisconsin Rapids and just made life miserable for their guards on the perimeter with his with his quick hands and with his uh, ability to um, you know turn the ball over. Uh, and of course, within the swall, they're going to get they're going to get tested again as usual by Darlington. Uh, Marshall's got a lot of experience back. Um, I saw they won their first game against River Valley rather handily. Craig Ward is is a four-year guy, um, but uh, another really key play for them is Reed Trusinski, uh, 6'5", muscular inside kid that can really get off the floor. So I think they're going to be a team to, to, to really watch. Um, River Ridge, I, I saw them. Uh, Tom Nice just won his 400th game last week. Um, David Nice, uh, as you know, Travis, great football player. That kid is really put together. It's amazing to see the transformation in his body from his sophomore year to his senior year and what living in the weight room can do for you, not only on the football field, but certainly on the basketball field. I mean, it's, it's hard 
to to get around a guy like that or, or to out rebound a guy like that. Uh, he's light on his feet too. He's a very good athlete. He's got a multiple D two offers for for football, um, and uh, is is possibly. Uh, going to get a walk-on offer from Wisconsin, which I, I think he would be very excited about. I think Kenosha St. Joe's is another team with Andrew Aliyah back um, that, you know, could make some noise. Uh, Roncalli, Luke Potts, you know, all he did was score 37 points and grab 21 rebounds against Appleton West in his season opener. So, and keep a high on uh, Howard's Grove. I, I think they're going to have a really good season. Um, and then of course, you know, with, uh, in division four, there are some schools and the others to watch list that, that certainly could pop into, into having huge seasons as well. But at this point, uh, I think Milwaukee Academy of Science is the team to beat. They just have so much talent. It's, 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 uh, it's kind of scary. And then when you, when you watch them play and you see, oh, geez, sophomore, sophomore, freshman, freshman, <laughs> you're going to be like, oh my Lord, this team's going to be this team's loaded for the next several years. And, uh, uh, but like you say, you know, when it comes to the, to tournament and playing in a tight game and, you know, maybe the crowd, uh, is going against you, uh, strange things can happen. So, so we'll see what happens in division four, but like all five divisions there, there's a lot of good teams. And, um, you know, I think, uh, any number of them could, could emerge and, and perhaps pull an upset and, and beat Academy of Science. And you certainly hope that uh, that group can stay together. You don't want to see movement, but the, the reality is that there could be movement. Uh, obviously, a couple of those players that you mentioned are transfers in and have already been at a, a couple different schools and played in different AAU programs. And, you know, that, that stability, you never know if it's going to be there for, you know, three, four years to, con to sustain uh, anything, let alone, again, if, if that inexperience will be a challenge for them this year. Division five, the smallest group of schools in the state of Wisconsin. Would Sheboygan Lutheran have been the favorite in D5 if they would have stayed down, as you said, just a, a few above that that cut line? Would, would they have been a, a D5 favorite, do you think? You know, I think Sheboygan Lutheran um, would have been number one uh, in D5. And, and River Ridge in the, is another team. We have them six in D4. I think that they certainly could have been. Uh, number one in D5. And the thing, the reason I brought up River Ridge is because they too were right on that uh, border. In fact, their girls are playing D5 uh, and the boys are playing D4, which sounds kind of strange, but I know that happens from time to time due to all boys schools and all girls schools and so forth. So, um, but having said that they're in D4, so, you know, you move on. <laughs> and um, the, the top teams in D5 this year, uh, Many of them are familiar names to people. Randolph is number one. Bangers number two. We we certainly have seen them, those two programs at the state tournament recently. Our number three team uh, is Newman Catholic. Um, and the interesting thing about Newman um, uh, is that they play in the Merrowood South. And so, like the Assumption Girls, they're going to get challenged by some really good Division Four teams throughout the state: the Marathons and Edgars, Stratfords and Auburndales. Um, so when they roll around and play D4, or excuse me, D5 instead of D4 for the tournament, they're ready to go. And they have two really good juniors in, in Isaac Seidel and Mason Prey. Um, Clear Lake uh, finished 22-1 and one last year. Uh, their lone loss coming to McDonald uh, Catholic in the playoffs. Um, I think those two teams might be playing tonight. Um, I know they're playing early in the season. So... Um, they have a, a couple really good players back. Um, Tyson Blanchard is back and, and he has played 
uh, for four years on the varsity team, and so has Riley Peterson. Um, and both those guys are, are, are Riley in particular um, is is a fun guy to watch because he he's just so muscular on the on the interior. He just he just pushes people around at six five. And Tyson also at six five is fun to watch because he handles the ball so well and can really play away from the basket and, and find his teammates. And they have a new coach this year. Ryan Blanchard's taken over. Jason Sargent, a former coach, left to take a teaching and the head coaching job at Amory. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Clear Lake does this year. And uh, interesting also, the Lakeland Conference went from three divisions to two. So Clear Lake now is in with many of those former uh, Lakeland West schools, which were a little bigger than the Lakeland East, uh, a little more competitive, I think, by and large, up and down the lineup. So uh, they might get a few more uh, solid tests throughout the regular season. Um, I think Columbus Catholic is another team. I, I saw them uh, uh, last Saturday, and I, I really like Joe Kanichke's team. Uh, he's got he's got some. Uh, well, all five players can shoot. I mean, it's amazing how the how they. I don't know if they have guns set up at, at every Catholic grade school in Marshfield or what, but um, it just seems like they can all shoot. Um, so they're constantly <laughs> doing that, um, and and he's got some depth. Um, uh, he's got about eight guys that he plays, including four sophomores. So that's a team that's going to be around for a few years. You know, and a team that did really well in football that I think is going to do really well in basketball is Reedsville. And Brennan Dvorak, uh, if he isn't the best all-around senior athlete in Wisconsin, he's got to be in the top three or four. Um, not only is he a great quarterback in football, but he's a fantastic basketball player. Can rebound and score uh, with the best of them. And then, of course, in track and field, he's the defending state champion in both hurdle events. So he's their leader, um, but um, they, they have some experience to go around him. We mentioned Seth Bunders transferring to Wazika Steuben. That makes them pretty tough. I think Potosi's going to give River Ridge a, a real run for its money in the Six Rivers West. And then you never mention D5 without bringing up NEW Lutheran because they've had so much success and have parlayed playing that D4 schedule in the Packerland into uh, state multiple state tournament bursts in Division Five, um, so I, I, I think they're going to be good. And uh, South Shore is going to going to have a dynamic score in Coy Nelson. He's a guy that's probably going to put up forty plus points on, on multiple occasions. And the funny thing is, he you think okay, he's probably a six five guy that just dominates at the small school level. No, he's he's only about five nine five ten, but but he can really shoot and he can get off a shot in a hurry. Um, and then, you know, I think uh, another team that you never count out in D5 is, is Chippewa Falls McDonald. Um, they, they always seem to get better. And uh, playing in that Western Clover Belt, they, they too play a lot of bigger schools throughout the season, and that prepares them for the, for the playoffs. You know what I found uh, interesting and did not find out until, about, until the later part of the football season? Can you believe that uh, the, the Reedsville player you, you referenced, there's no V pronounced in his name it's Dorachik. oh is that which, right i didn't know that which, okay uh, yeah it, it didn't that's not how i saw it or i always thought it, it was Dvorak, um, but uh Dorachik. okay yeah no he yeah you know, i've watched brennan I, I remember seeing brennan going into his sophomore year he was in one of our summer tournaments and he was kind of thin and, and long and gangly but i asked the coach at the time i said Who, who's that kid over there the blonde-haired kid and he said well that's he's a kid that's really going to be a key player for us for the next three years. And boy, he sure wasn't kidding. Cause he, he stood out even at that age with his ability to, 
to handle the ball and get deflections and get rebounds and score. And Reedsville was struggling at that time. They, they, they just didn't have a lot of talent, but I thought if this kid has anything around him in the next couple of years, they're going to be pretty good. And he does, he, he, you know, many of those guys that did well for them in football also play basketball. So, you know, I always find it refreshing when teams that have struggled like a Milton, like a Reedsville, when they've struggled, you know, you know, two, three for two, three years. And all of a sudden, you know, they stuck with it. They, they, they played hard, you know, they worked in the weight room. They, they got on the, on the, on the shooting gun, you know, they worked on their ball handling and passing and they, they kept the faith. Um, and now all of a sudden it's paying off for them. And I, I think that's really neat to see. Um, obviously we got, uh, just like any sport, you got your traditional powers that just kind of reload, but to see Reedsville and Milton who, you know, won single digit games for many, many years in the past to see them now as state ranked within their divisions is really neat to see. Well, that'll do it for our look at the division by division top teams in the state. We, we talked about many of them through the course of, of these discussions, but if you're looking at the top talents in the state, regardless of class, where does it start? Who are some of the kids on that list as most talented players and in, in top collegiate prospects in the state? Well, I guess it would probably start this year with Seth Trimble, um, the North Carolina recruit. I think he, he is, a, a in the senior class, of course, and, um, one-on-one -on -one, when you, when you watch Seth play, it, it, he, he's just really, really hard to stop. He, he's got a great hesitation dribble. He's aggressive taking the ball to the rack. He got great elevation when he gets to the basket uh, and he can hang, you know, he can avoid the defenders and hang. It's, 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 it's amazing what he can do with the ball in his hand. Obviously Leon Bond at Tosa West going to Virginia. He's the perfect uh, Virginia recruit. You know, he's a guy that can do a lot of different things on the court, whether it's handle the ball, crash the boards, defend like a, 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 you know, he could be the best defender uh, in Wisconsin because he can guard on the perimeter and he can guard in the paint. Um, so he, he's not a dynamic scorer. He, he's an okay shooter. He's getting better in that respect. My guess is he'll get most of his points on putbacks, off short drives to the basket or, or playing with his back to the basket. And obviously from the foul line, Max Nelson at Appleton North is another senior. Um, who just has gotten better every single year. And Max now is a very physical player at 6'8", can play inside and outside, has a nice three-point shot. I expect him to have big a big year. Uh, Danilo Jovanovic at Whitno, who's going to Miami, uh, is a guy, like, like a lot of these guys now, you know, at 6'7", um, can play with his back to the basket um, and, and hurt teams uh, on the post but is also a very capable shooter at facing the basket. Um, and that Whitnell team is, 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 is very strong. I think he's going to have a big year. Andrew Rohde at Brookfield Central has grown. He's now 6'7". He's a three-year starter for them. Um, another tremendous defender with length and an improved shooter. Uh, he's going to St. Thomas in, in the Twin Cities. I think they got a steal with him. I, I really think he's very, very good. When you look at, um, and that's just a few of the seniors. There, there's other guys, obviously, that are going to have huge seasons. But if you're if you're looking at, you know, Marquette, Wisconsin type guys, I think Milan Monchiliovic in the junior class uh, is is the guy you want to watch from Pewaukee at six eight. Um, you know, has that ability to to score from the perimeter. He's a very unselfish player. 
he likes to pass as well. Um, and he's got great teammates to pass to. Um, and, and then I think you you almost go to the sophomore class because there, there's some really good players in that class. I mentioned Con Knipple at Wisconsin Lutheran at six, four, he's got offers from Marquette and Wisconsin already. Um, and is, is just a really smooth and, uh, smooth player who, who plays it by instinct and makes the right decisions with the ball in his hands. And when he takes a jump shot and it doesn't go in, you're surprised. <laughs> it's just a really, uh, when you see a guy that shoots the ball well and really well, it, I think it's always a pleasure. And you always say, I'm going to watch that kid again. Cause he can really shoot and cons that guy this year in Wisconsin. Cause he can really, really stroke the basketball. Uh, Nick, uh, Janowski is uh, also a Pewaukee kid, um, that I think, uh, people will want to watch. We mentioned the two kids at Milwaukee Academy of Science, Tayshawn Bridges and Naz Beeman. They're both dynamic players. Uh, it's both around 6'2 that can put, you know, they can put 25 points on the board easily in a given game. Uh, Jawan Johnson is a smaller guard at Milwaukee Pius in that sophomore class. And, and he's got some low division one offers. Um, and of course, the big question with him was, will he grow? Um, but, but he is another player um, that I think is really fun to watch in that class. I think he had 35, 35 points, 10 steals, eight assists, or six assists and eight steals. And there went over Racine for like crazy numbers like that. Um, and then uh, one other guy I'll mention here, Amari McCotry at St. Thomas Moore, 6'5 guard in that sophomore class that has tremendous potential. Um, so, um, you know, there's guys up and down the line. Um, you know, if you, if you just start talking about high major college basketball prospects, I think we hit on most of them. But um, I, I enjoy watching guys that are going to play D2 or going to play D3 or not going to play college basketball at all, or, uh, um, that, but just love the game. So, um, it, you know, there's so many, so many players now in Wisconsin that play basketball, you know, 10 to 12 months of the year that the skill level of the kids when they enter high school is so, so much greater than it was maybe in the past. And of course, good, bad, or indifferent. Now you have kids that are playing, uh, that aren't playing multiple sports like we had in the past. I mean, there's certainly some that still do. Um, but uh, in the past, you know, all the good athletes would play at least two sports and, and many times three, but you know, this trend has been coming for a while now and it, it's here to stay, I think. But the result of it is that that many of these young kids now enter high school at such an advanced stage from their skill perspective that that they get pushed up to varsity right away. And, uh, you know, even at the large school level now, you see many freshmen on, on varsity rosters throughout Wisconsin. All right, Mark, uh, one of the topics that we've been discussing ad nauseum for many, many years is the competitive equity, the public, private, rural, urban, however you want to frame that discussion. And without getting into, you know, the too much of that and rehashing arguments over and over, um, we do know that there, there has been some movement from the WIAA with the formation of an ad hoc committee to, uh, to study competitive equity, to determine, you know, issues and, and problems and potentially come up with possible proposals or solutions, if you will. Um, again, without rehashing the whole argument, what have you heard from basketball coaches in terms of what that means? Is that a good step in the right direction? Are they skeptical of what that 
committee will recommend? Are they hopeful that this will finally be a, a move towards some kind of resolution? What What are you hearing from basketball coaches on on this topic? Well, to be honest with you, not a whole lot. Um, you know, I think this is something that, uh, like you mentioned, has been around a long time now. And, uh, you know, the, the cries kind of come and go, um, uh, depending on the year, depending on the situation. Um, certainly when you look at this year, you know, you, you, you have the potential for some schools that, um, that, uh, that would fall under that quote unquote competitive equity, uh, banner. When you look at Lake country Lutheran division in division three and Milwaukee Academy of science in division four, at least on paper, those two teams certainly have a chance to win state titles this year. Um, but you know it's not an issue in division one you know it's just it just isn't because uh as far as private schools go uh you know marquette and dsha are really the only division one schools private schools in the state um uh to me uh it's it's almost a non-factor because of uh, uh open enrollment uh because of the fact that uh, many of the larger public schools get transfers all the time we mentioned some of them already um you know where where i think that it most of this is coming from is at is at the D4, D5 level, particularly when you have uh, private schools or uh, charter schools are at, frankly, the MPS schools now that have gotten so small they, that they're, they're down at that level in terms of their enrollment um, where, where they can come in and dominate a game like basketball with, with, you know, five really good players. So, you know, is it fair for a, uh, 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 a Wazika to play uh, a Sheboygan private school, for example. Um, well, you know, they, they have the same amount of kids in their building, um, but of course Sheboygan can, can draw kids from, from larger areas. Um, and, um, it, you know, the, the free and reduced lunch argument, uh, all, you know, all that stuff factors in. You know, at the end of the day, Travis, with a sport like basketball, uh, my thought is you just go play the game. You know, you just go play the game, you know, hey, Heck, uh, you know, upsets happen, you know, um, all the time in basketball, you know, and, and you know, maybe Sheboygan Lutheran does have an advantage, an edge. And I, I, you know, a school like that, I'm not trying to single them out. We're seeing St. Catharines. I mean, take your pick, whatever school you want. Um, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you still got to go lace them up and, and play the, you know, 94 feet and you got to go against people. And, you know, the public school teams have, have, uh, uh, have kids in their program from fifth grade on that they kind of know will be, you know, entrenched in their program. Uh, whereas the private schools are not sure who's going to come, you know? Um, so there's pros cons, uh, to all of it. Um, you know, it, I think it, I, I just, my personal thought is that there, there's no easy answer. Um, they, they had a great committee formed several years back that, that, uh, basically came to that same conclusion <laughs> when it was all said and done. And, um, you know, you just, just go out there and play, you know, there's no guarantees. Heck we had, we had three divisions for years and years. Now we got five, you know, so, you know, going to the state tournament is not a given, you know, it, it just isn't. And I feel that, that the mentality today is that, um, unless we feel we have a shot to go to the state tournament, a legitimate shot we got to fix the system. And, you know, uh, to my knowledge, it, it wasn't that way in the past. Um, 
you know, obviously it was that way when we went from one to three divisions. And, and I thought that was a good move, obviously, just from a size perspective. But remember, we had one division uh, for, for many years. Uh, and of course, the public and private were separate back then. But um, uh, I, I just don't, I, I think you got to be good. You got to work hard. Um, you got to have talent. And, you know, if you have all those things, you got to have great chemistry. You got to have great intangibles, leadership. Um, all that stuff that comes into making a, a successful uh, high school team, whether what, no matter the sport, you're, you're going to have success. But to try to tilt the field or alter the field so it favors you over another, that to me, that kind of goes back to seating and why we got away from coaches seating. Um, you know, you got six coaches from one conference in a room and two from another. And uh, the two that uh, the two get kind of ganged up on and walk out of the room mad and kind of bitter about the whole thing because they didn't get the seat that they felt they deserved. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of my take on the whole thing. Uh, now, certainly, if there's improprieties taking place, if kids are being recruited and you can prove that if kids are, um, you know, uh, entering school uh, under undue influence, um, then that should be reported and, and, and the school should suffer the consequences. But, um, you know, and uh, I don't think any of this other stuff makes any sense. I mean, you're gonna separate the schools based on whether they're rural or urban um, and, you know, free and reduced lunch or public or private, or <laughs> it just, to me, it's, uh, uh, it, it's just kind of silly. That, but that's my two cents. <laughs> and I, like I say, I, the coaches haven't said a whole lot. Um, and um, uh, uh, probably because nothing has been presented to them at this point. But uh, I haven't heard a lot of outcry from coaches on this um, over the last uh, three, four, five years. Uh, it comes and goes, you know, I mean, certainly um, if, if a team loads up uh, and is just outstanding and dominates like St. Catharines has done at times, you know, you'll hear some squawking, but generally uh, not as much, you know, and it, it's not like they win it every year. Um, so, you know, we had dominant teams in division one in the past, when you think about Germantown and Milwaukee Vincent, Madison Memorial and Oshkosh West for a couple of years there. So, um, and nobody said anything about that. So, um, that, that's just kind of where I'm at. I, you know, and, and, uh, you know, what the coaches are saying, of course, you know, if, if five private schools win the state championship this, this March, then that will change, but I don't foresee that happening. All right. So there you go. Complaints about, uh, public private can be directed to Mark Miller at with <laughs> BB yearbook on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, Everything is Mark's fault, just like everything in football is my fault. So, well, full disclosure, my my two daughters both attended private schools, so you know, uh, and I attended a, a Xavier, so that's another private school. So, you know, there's there's that. Um, so, I see it from a little different angle, but I, you know, traveling to the, to these small communities and watching games like uh, in Patch Grove last week, I mean, that that's really special to be a part of that uh, in that community, and and. Uh, you know, I get their concern. I do. Um, but I, I think with when you have five players on a basketball court, you can overcome those things. Um, maybe in a sport like football or track and field where you need numbers, baseball even, um, that might be more of a concern. But, um, you know, uh, if, if you're doing the right things, whether you're at a public, private, rural, urban, big school, small school, if you're doing the right things in terms of, of teaching the game, developing leaders, 
uh, developing kids that make good decisions um, or learn from bad decisions, you know, at the end of the day, I think you're going to, you're going to come out. Okay. All right, Mark, I think that'll, uh, that'll largely do it for us today on the podcast, a, a great preview of the upcoming season. Anything we didn't touch on that we should before we, uh, before we head out here? No. And, uh, you know, I guess I'd be surprised if anyone's listened to this thing from the beginning to the end, because <laughs> we, we've covered a lot of ground and used a lot, a lot of, uh, um, tape recorder space, although I know you don't use that technology anymore. Um, uh, so I think we covered pretty much everything and, uh, you know, let the games begin. I mean, we're a weekend and I think we got over 130 games tonight. Now teams that maybe opted to, to not play before Thanksgiving are now getting underway. So, uh, the only thing I would add Travis, and I know you would add too, is coaches, 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 please put your stats up on our, on our website, because with, uh, uh, we are the, uh, the, the one location where fans, coaches, college coaches, media, um, just everybody goes to for statistics, whether it's football, basketball, uh, volleyball, soccer, baseball, all the sports, please put your stats up on our site. So, so you're giving your kids the credit. And so our stats are complete and, um, and, you know, if everyone's doing it, then, then we're all in the, in the same boat and everyone's happy, but, uh, I'd encourage all of them to please do that. And if your coach isn't doing it, if you're a fan out there, maybe, maybe nudge them nudge him or her and say, please, why aren't our stats on there? I see all the other teams are on, you know, this team, that team and the other are on there, but we're not, uh, it's not fair to your kids when you're not putting them on there. And, um, uh, so that, that would be my parting shot. All right. That's a good one to end on good stuff with, uh, with Mark. We will check in with Mark many times throughout the year on the WSN podcast. Of course, you can read all of his insights and expertise on WSN uh, as the boys basketball season gets underway, as Mark said, uh, some games before the Thanksgiving break, but really getting into high gear now. And we're looking forward to as well, a uh, great uh, holiday tournament schedule, getting back to, to some of those opportunities. So again, we'll be checking in with Mark again soon. But for Mark Miller, I am Travis Wilson. This has been a Wisports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game. <laughs>